Ideally, we, what we want is when our members are thinking about anything that deals with multifamily, that our association is the first thing that comes to mind. Whether that be an event or advocacy or education or whatever it may be, we don't want them to have to Google. We want them to know they can come directly to us for that. And then once they hit that website, the experience that they get there is so very important. And the experience when they arrive at an event with us, or if they're on an education class, or if they're attending a webinar, whatever it may be that we do, that experience that they're getting from us is so important because that's how you create those ambassadors to be able to share the bigger praise for your association out there. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today... I have the huge pleasure of speaking with Russ Webb, Executive Director of the Bay Area Apartment Association. Hey, Russ, welcome to the show. Hey, Joanna. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Russ, the Bay Area Apartment Association is kind of a mouthful. You call it Bay Area or BAA. We do. We say BAA. Yes, Bay Area Apartment Association. We represent the Tampa Bay region of Florida. That's the most beautiful part of Florida, by the way. That's from Crystal River all the way down to Venice. It's 12 counties on the western side of Florida and Tampa MSA, and it's one of the fastest growing areas in the country. And you have quite a number of members. I think you've got a thousand apartment community members, you call them, representing 245,000 units. You've got 300 plus associate or supplier members, 140 property management companies, and you even have student members. We do. Yeah. The student membership was something new we created. Most trade associations don't have individual members. But one of the big issues in my industry is trying to get new blood into the pipeline for employees. So I thought a neat way to do that would be to create a student membership. So we created a student membership for students in whether high school or college that are maybe looking at a career in our industry. We charge $25 and they get to come to all of our meetings for free. Amazing. Is it working? Do you have student members? Yeah, it's working so far. We have a couple of them that are now working in the industry. Amazing. Hey, Russ, before we get into what BAA is doing to thrive, because we have so much to talk about, tell us about your journey to becoming executive director, because you've done some really interesting things. Yeah, so I have a crazy background. A long time ago in the dark ages when I left college, First thing I did is I worked for an international airline, charter airline, setting up airline stations around the place, and then ended up being part of the cruise entertainment staff and cruise director for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. You were a cruise director. I was, and that's where I was lucky enough to meet a beautiful young lady from Scotland who became my wife. And then we lived in Scotland for a little while, and then we moved back to Atlanta, where I'm from, and then eventually found my way to the Atlanta 
and Georgia Apartment Associations, where I ran day-to-day for 21 years until the beginning of 2020, when I got recruited to come down to Tampa and take over this association that had been run by an association management company that never had an in-house executive director. So how do you leave an organization that you've been with for 21 years and go to another organization? And I believe, if memory serves, the BAA was struggling when you took over. The BAA was struggling. It was in a unique, kind of what you'd refer to probably as a tipping point. They were at a time when they needed to figure out who they wanted to be and what they wanted to be. They unfortunately have lost their 501c status and a couple of other things were going on. Oh my God. Yeah. So what's funny, here I am, was in Atlanta, the third largest apartment association in the country. Everything was great. Had a staff of 15, $5 million budget. Things were fantastic. However, we were doing a lot of you know dotting I's and crossing T's, which very successful organizations find themselves doing. So I wasn't challenged anymore. And I had this really crazy opportunity to take over an association that really needed help. And also, it was kind of fun the idea to be someone's very first in-house executive director. Because you took the association basically to have its own staff. You took it away from the AMC. That's right. This particular AMC had run it for over 35 years. So I became their first in-house ever executive director and then hired my team. And, and also, I mean, who could not want to live in Tampa? Fair enough. Let's face it, with the sunshine and the ocean. And I'm also a really, really big Disney person. And I live right now about an hour from the mouse. So I'm pretty happy with that. So how do you negotiate things with the board when the organization is struggling and you know you've got to be bold? What kind of relationship do you set up with the board? How do you get the buy-in? Yeah. So, I mean, early on, well, the good news for me, and this does not going to be the same for every organization, but the good news for me was, you know, there were a number of people who realized that we were at a tipping point and they realized that this association needed to do some things to change and innovate. We, some of the larger players in our industry, the large companies were members of the association because they used the lease. You had to be a member to use the apartment lease, but they didn't participate. They didn't come to any events. They never came to anything at all, didn't do education, nothing. So basically, it's a kind of a member in name only. And they wouldn't because kind of the culture that had been developed to the association. So interestingly enough, you know, I had some great volunteer leaders who understood that we had to change. And early on, they even set the ground rules with the board saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Russ run the association. We're not going to tell him how to run the association. He's not going to tell us how to manage apartments. And by setting kind of that right up front, but I knew I had to show them. I knew I had to show them that we knew what to do and we knew how to get there. And the team was going to turn this organization from a good organization to a great organization. But the journey is not always fun. I mean, sometimes you got to get to the other side. And having that discussion with them early on is important. But more important for that is showing them the successes. So when something does go the right way, that you say, look, this is what I was telling you. Check this out. Look at these numbers. Look at this revenue. Look at this membership growth. When that works out, and then by doing that, you create more disciples, you create more ambassadors for your association, and that just tends to to build upon itself. So, Russ, you are fond of saying that as association executives, it's important to find superheroes. What does that mean? Yeah, superheroes are super important for what we do. Think about it this way, right? So we're staff. So our job is to manage the association. The board and our leader's job is to govern the association. As Joanna and I've talking before about, you know, I said, if we were flying a plane and I'm the pilot, 
And the board's our navigator. The board's going to decide where we're going, and I'm going to get them there. But having those superheroes that are people from the member side that will come in, understand your mission, understand your vision, and then take that message and be the ambassador for the people out there, especially the detractors. I mean, truly, that negativity can grow so quickly if you let it continue to fester. So what we do is we use these superheroes to go out there and share all the amazing things that we're doing. And if you can find a detractor and change them into a superhero. Oh, that's gold. It's the biggest success you'll ever have. I had the situation here where I had someone when I first got here, huge detractor, huge. And told me later on that he believed that bringing me in was the best decision the board had ever made. So it's a win right there for that partnership. Russ, you need superheroes on the board who believe in you, and you probably need superheroes on committees and in the general membership. How do you find them and how do you cultivate them? Yeah, so I believe that's the most important thing that you just said, cultivate. I think that's what you do. I think they're out there. I think no matter who our members are, we have got those incredible leaders and those superheroes out there amongst our membership. But a lot of times we don't know who they are because they're not always the most vocal. They're not the ones that are going to always be raising their hand to volunteer. So I created a leadership lyceum program that we run future leaders through. And what we do, it's a four-part series of kind of leadership training, which will teach them how to be leaders of volunteers, but it also helps them with some general leadership skills they can take back to their companies and use every day. But by doing this, we can identify people throughout this leadership lyceum program that we see are going to be great future leaders for us. We can see that. Ooh, so you're grooming them early. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then basically, if you've got a good leader, they usually know other people that would be great leaders. And I think one of the most important things that is your job as a leader is to create other leaders. I think there's nothing probably more important than that. So you've been at the association two years, and these past two years have been the best in the association's history. Tell us about the membership growth. Yeah. So I took over January of 2020. Ouch. Yeah, I know. I took over two months before the world shut down. And it's kind of crazy to say that COVID was a great thing to happen to our association. But I think it might have been because we got to use it as kind of a reset button. So what happened was when a lot of people closed up shop and didn't know what to do, I immediately understood that our members needed us more than ever because People that worked on site at apartment communities, they were considered you know, essential employees. They weren't allowed to just stay at home. They had to go to work every day. And the maintenance techs had to be at work every day. Right. So what we did was we changed our programming to serve them where they were. So we changed some things. This is an association that had never done a webinar. And we went from having zero webinars in our portfolio, if you will, to doing 80 webinars in seven months. Oh, my God. And they were everything from how to manage leasing virtually to town halls where we would let our leaders come in and talk to us about things they were concerned about so that we could help them find answers. I also believe the best thing that you can do during a time like that is find a great partner. And thankfully for me, the Apartment Association of Greater Orlando is separated from us by an hour here on I-4. And one of my best buds was the executive director over there. And we partnered together and I had a staff of five he had a staff of five. So together, we had a staff of 10. Ah. We were able to both serve our members so well during this time. And because of that, like you said, 2020 and 2021 and 2022 were the best financial years in the history of our association. We've grown, our membership's grown um, in excess of 35% since I got down here. 
And, you know, revenue side has been incredible, especially on the non-dues side. We've put over $600,000 into our reserves and we're reinvesting this into great programs for the association. And one of the things that we're most excited about is we're about 30 days out from opening our first ever facility. We're building a professional development center to be able to do all of our training that we do. So no, we no longer have to do it in hotels or random places that we find. We're going to have our own training center that'll open inside of a month. Wow, that is amazing. Hey, let's talk about your event strategy, because I think this has been really critical to your success. And I call it your bespoke event strategy or your FOMO strategy that you talked about. So listeners, I met Russ at Nandusapalooza, which was held a couple months ago in Nashville. And he actually, I was lost and he helped me. We can talk about that another time. But you talked about your FOMO event strategy, which is amazing. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, think about any association that you've ever known, right? So typically, if you walk up to a member and you'd be like, hey, when is your association's trade show? They go, it's July. When does your association do their golf tournament? It's in March. When does your association do their bowling event? It's in September. Everybody knows because it's the same thing every year, copy, paste, copy, paste. And when you do that, sadly, it becomes background noise to your members. You might add in another event every now and then to do something special. But for those standard events, they are, they become background noise. So we have a little bit of different philosophy here. Which, like you said, it's the FOMO event strategy. Our members are kind of scared to miss something. They don't know if we're ever going to bring it back again. We might do an incredible event one time and be like, that was awesome. Now let's do something different. So give us an example of one of your events. This year, we did a very successful, super successful casino night mm-hmm. as a pack fundraiser. And we had a casino company come in that ran the full casino. We did it in this old, his, beautiful, historic building called the Cuban Club down in Ybor in Tampa. This building is actually pretty amazing too. This old building operates as a nonprofit and all of the money that they get goes back into helping restore this building because it's such a huge part of the Cuban culture here in Tampa. So we did this casino event and plus had a silent auction on the side to help with the Cuban club development process stuff. The event was very well done. We made more money than we planned on making and everybody loved it, but we're not doing it again in 23. Oh, interesting. So if somebody says, Russ, that was so amazing. Are we going to do it again next year? You'll say no. Not in 23. It might come back in the future, but not in 23. Typically, we don't also do our events the same time. Like, you know, if you think this event should always be in September. No, don't. Do it in April. A couple of different reasons. Number one, you got to keep members on their toes. But number two, you might also attract a whole new type of attendee that you could never get in that week of September because they're attending some other national conference that might be going on during that time. Oh, fascinating. Marketing to a whole different portion of the membership. So what you're doing is training the membership to pay attention to the event strategy because you might miss something. And then you might miss the thing that people are talking about. And you definitely will miss the thing that we're talking about. We created an event called Light Up the Night, and we did it on a rooftop. There's a lot of rooftop venues in Tampa Bay. So we did it on this rooftop, and it started off as being an event during COVID, so we wanted to be outside and be a little safe. So we did this event, and it was hugely popular. So then we did it again another time, but we didn't do it at the same time of year, and we didn't even do it in Tampa. We did it in St. Petersburg. And so now we're doing it again at a completely different time of year. And this time it's not on a rooftop. This time it's down on the riverside as an outdoor event with a totally different feel to the event. 
the idea is that you keep changing things up to make sure they don't want to miss anything. And also, it really helps with sponsorships too, because our sponsors are always also wondering what's the next big thing. They don't want to miss being part of the next big thing. I think about some of my clients who, after the pandemic or as the pandemic was starting to wane, would say things like, gosh, I wish we would just get back to normal so that we can have our annual conference in March and then our, you know, our legislative conference in September and things would just get back to normal. It sounds like you're reinventing your event strategy every year. Is that exhausting, invigorating? Yeah, I mean, can it be both? Yes, it can be. <laughs> if it can be both, then that's what it is. But it excites us. It excites our team to create an event. And I always say, you know, when you burst an event, it's like a child and you get so excited about how it works out. And sometimes they're better than other times. But even if it's hugely successful, it doesn't mean you have to do the same thing every time. Copy and pasting events is not a great idea, especially in today's day and age. When you look at this new generation that's coming out into the workforce right now, I think the pros call them Gen Z. Gen Z, yes. I call them the TikTok generation because the TikTok generation does have a shorter attention span. And they are also looking for things that excite them. Yes. They're looking for things that they want to be able to care about. They're not going to care about something that you've been doing the same since 1973. They're not going to care about that. So by mixing it up and keeping it different, keep your members on their toes. You know, it's interesting that you talk about the TikTok generation, because I think you're absolutely right. By moving your event around, this generation will say it's another set of experiences, and that's what they're looking for. And if this is the generation that's TikToking everything that they're doing, they can't be TikToking from the same place next year, or it'll feel like old hat. Yeah, agreed. And we believe in doing an event and then picking the event apart afterwards to see, because even if the event went well, we still want to know any parts that didn't go well, or if the event didn't go well, were there any parts of it that did go well? So this is an important part of your strategy, too. You talk about doing really deep dives, not just a conversation, but deep dives into the event and post-event surveys with the attendees. So what do you learn from this? So we post-event survey for every single event. Every webinar? Even a webinar. We post-event for everything we do. And I know that a lot of people will be like, well, that's overkill, and you'll never get response rates. Our response rates are good. They're 10 to 15%, which is higher than the industry average. And the reason why is because we ask a short series of questions, five max, typically it's three. And two of those questions are going to be short answer and then one's going to be open-ended. And what we get from that is the information back, are we hitting the mark and what are we missing? And our director of programs, she is so amazing and so incredible at having the ability to do this deep dive after an event. And she will talk to her sponsors and she'll talk to the rest of the staff and she'll talk to board members. And she wants to find out Things that they found were so great about the event, but more importantly, she's really concerned about what didn't go right with the event. And we always talk about the event. And when people ask questions like, how did you like the venue? How was the food at the venue? These are not questions that are going to help you put on a good event. That's the venue's problem. That's not your problem. The things you need to know is what was their arrival experience like? Mm, the things that you can control. Things that you can control from your pre-event marketing that you did. Did the event live up to the hype of the pre-event marketing? Ooh. Did you meet someone or learn something at the event that's going to help you in your job? These are questions that are going to help you produce better events. And that's a big thing for us to do these deep dives. So it sounds like what you're doing is 
being really intentional with the journeys that you want the attendees to have. I'm really big into these journeys and I tell my team all the time and I tell clients actually, if we're doing a virtual event, for example, for a client or a hybrid event, the journey doesn't start when they're logging into the app or it doesn't start when they get to the event. It actually started when they were thinking about the event or when they were thinking about having training, when they go to Google or they first went to the website. And so if we can identify these pathways and then be intentional about how they're going to go, then people don't get lost and we can really design a great and amazing experience. It sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, ideally what we want is when our members are thinking about anything that deals with multifamily, that our association is the first thing that comes to mind, whether that be an event or advocacy or education or whatever it may be. We don't want them to have to Google. We want them to know they can come directly to us for that. And then once they hit that website, the experience that they get there is so very important. And the experience when they arrive at an event with us, or if they're on an education class, or if they're attending a webinar, whatever it may be that we do, that experience that they're getting from us is so important because that's how you create those ambassadors to be able to share the bigger praise for your association out there. Because you've got a whole lot of really great resources for members on the website. I mean, you've got education, you've got events, you've got information about certification, you've got a whole bunch of guides, you've got publications. I mean, really, you want to be the go-to resource. That's right. Yeah, 100%. We want to be the end stop for them for everything that they do. One of the unique things about our website is that we believe in the member experience, And I know that there's a lot of people out there that have very different thoughts on membership. Some believe in the freemium model where you give stuff away and then hope that they'll join. I am not that person. I believe that we are a membership organization. Therefore, we provide amazing, incredible experiences for our members. So that's why most of our great stuff is locked down behind the login, as it should be. I also want to make sure that the good stuff that we have on that website is super mobile friendly. If they cannot access it from a tablet or a cell phone, Basically, we're doing a disservice to our members. Yeah, you've said if it's not mobile, it's not in my life. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that mobile experience is so very important. And if you ask, it's so funny when someone says, ask people who buy stuff from Amazon, how many of them buy stuff using the app on their phone or on their tablet? It's the majority of people. And therefore, if that's the experience that they're used to, that quick checkout experience, that You can deliver me information, things I'm looking for. And Amazon does a phenomenal job of putting things in front of you that they think you're going to like. Agreed. And when we think about associations and how we manage our associations, my competition is not another association. My competition is Amazon and LinkedIn. And that's my competition. And Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. My competition is where people can go to get stuff at a quick experience Like you just said, Netflix, Joanna, that's a fantastic example. We do webinars and we have a whole online learning library on our website. And what we do is that, you know, at the end of a webinar, if you purchase a webinar, if you want to think, it's like, hey, you viewed this one, you probably would like this one because you did that. That's the Netflix model. We need to learn as associations to take good ideas from places outside of our own industry. That's very important. Yeah, I also think, Russ, that... Essentially, associations and almost any business is really in competition with anything that's taking people's time. So if I'm spending any free time on Amazon or Netflix, it's potentially not going to professional development or continuing education or certification or something. So I think that's something to think about. Well, I think that's very important. I talk a lot about time poverty 
Tom poverty is a huge thing that right now that's hitting everyone. Like you don't say to anyone, Hey, you have a lot of extra time. And they're like, yeah, loads of it. Just hanging around. I'm not got nothing going on. <laughs> Everybody is strapped for time. So therefore, when you look at it, just what you said, if they've got time that's going somewhere else, that's less time than they can spend with you. And LinkedIn's a great example. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in LinkedIn. I do love LinkedIn. I think it's amazing. However, LinkedIn now offers learning. Yes. Just like associations. They offer gathering places. Yes. Just like associations. And now they're offering even these LinkedIn live things where you can be together in person with people who have similar interests as you, just like an association. So competition is out there everywhere. We need to pay attention to it. Hey, Russ, before we go, you say that success and enthusiasm are contagious. And I love that. It sounds like something you live by. Yeah, I am just so funny. I, I don't know any other way to be. I wake up every day and I the first thing you do when you open your eyes every day is you make a choice. Is it going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day? You make that choice first thing. So I say it's going to be a great day. I say it every day. It's going to be a great day today. And then you can carry that enthusiasm to those around you. You know, sometimes when I speak, I'll do a magic trick or I'll do a juggle or do a balloon animal. And when I do that, I can watch the faces of everyone in the audience, even people that haven't been listening to my message. And you can watch their faces and they light up because everyone becomes a five-year-old when someone in front of them does a magic trick or juggling or balloons. And that just shows me that enthusiasm is contagious. It's absolutely contagious. And it's hard to be an optimist. And it's different being an optimist versus being enthusiastic. 100%. Being enthusiastic, you know, whatever you do, you should do it with passion, whatever it is that you do. If it's worth doing, do it with passion. Amen. 100%. And that's why I get excited about all the things that we do, because I believe that. And I believe that if I believe in it, then others are going to believe in it as well. Russ, my coach says to me all the time, your staff know the kind of day they're going to have by the look on your face when you walk in the office. Well, I'm not walking into the office, but when I, Monday morning, and I go to my first meeting, I think he's absolutely right that they know kind of the tenor of their day by, am I in a good mood? Am I excited to see them? Do I have a lot to share? And then it colors the rest of their day. Yeah, 100%. You know, I mean, People are so adept to what happens around them and take their signals, especially from their leaders. And they do take those signals. And when you see someone leaping with enthusiasm, it really does change the face of the people around them, which is kind of a lot of fun to do. So this is contagious, your success and your enthusiasm. And it sounds like your trade show was really the beneficiary of this success, being contagious. Yeah, huge trade show. Trade revenue was up 44%. Oh my God. Record boots, record attendance. And all that's great. All that's fantastic. I mean, I love the revenue. Yes, I'm a non revenue person. I love the fact that the numbers were up. The most important thing was the survey afterwards that showed us that the exhibitors said it was their best show ever. And the attendees said they made a connection. Wow. With someone who's going to help them in their jobs. That's what matters. What matters is that we delivered on what we promised that we were going to bring the sides of our industry together to be able to help both sides. And we did. So that's what matters the most. And that's why you're enthusiastic every single day. Yeah, every single day. I mean, I watch it happen out there. It's pretty cool. Russ, I could talk to you all day, but between your travel schedule and running the association, you got a lot to do. So I hope that you will come back and share more of your wisdom with the listeners of Associations Thrive. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Joanne. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. 
You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye!